1: Hi, Theory. Theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharunik Bosu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, I'm speaking with Margaret Nash about settler colonialism. Margaret, can I ask you to
0: introduce yourself
1: to our listeners?
0: Sure. My name is Margaret Nash, and I am a professor emeritus of the University of California at Riverside, and my work is on the history of education. Awesome. So
1: what the heck is settler colonialism?
0: Well, it's a theory that helps us see certain processes at work and shows how certain things that happened in the past and continue in the present aren't just coincidental, but instead reveal a pattern. And that pattern is one of racism toward indigenous people. Briefly, it refers to members of a dominant group. Think about, for instance, Britain in the 19th century, moving to another place where other people already live and basically taking over. There are different ways a country can do this. One way is known as exploitative colonialism. Again, think about Britain. Think about Britain in India, Mm -hmm. where Britain used the resources and the labor of a place. They set up a power dynamic, but they didn't really intend to make that place home. They were just going to use it for its resources and take those resources back home. So that's one kind of colonialism the other kind is what we're here to talk about settler colonialism Mm -hmm. so now think about britain not in india but britain in north america where the intention was to move there to stay and to bring with them their political social cultural and religious systems and then either killing off the people who were already there or forcing those people to adopt all of the colonizers ways of being or both. So here in the US, an example of killing off the people already there, not only is there warfare, of course, and murder, but then there's also the reality of British settlers deliberately infecting Native Americans with smallpox, giving them blankets that were infected with smallpox and killing off the population. Example of forcing the assimilation, think about on the West Coast, um, Spanish settlers in California, building the mission system and forcing Indians into the missions and forcing conversion to Catholicism and forcing them into slavery as well. But it's not just the United States, of course. There are lots of examples of settler colonialism. You can think about the British in Canada or Australia Mm -hmm. or the French in Tahiti the Dutch in South Africa, the Spanish in uh, Mexico, the Portuguese in Brazil, those are all examples of settler colonialism.
1: Okay, so the distinction between settler colonialism and exploitative colonialism is that in the settler colonialism model, the colonizers come to stay.
0: Yes, exactly. Then there's also a term that might be helpful, and that's post-colonialism. Post-colonialism refers to when the people native to a land get control back, like when Mexico became independent of Spain or Algeria became independent from France. So a post-colonial society is when the people who had always lived there and who had then been controlled or colonized by a dominant power finally get to decide for themselves, their own political structure, their cultural values, their economic system, their language, the name of their places, place names. So the theory of settler colonialism is sort of a response to post-colonialism because there were a lot of people studying post-colonial societies, which is great, but the whole premise of a post-colonial society is that the colonizers eventually left. Settler colonialism was a way of saying, yeah, but sometimes they never left. And let's look at that. Because often that whole process of staying and completely taking over a civilization and establishing a completely different country, that all gets normalized and we stop seeing it for what it is. And that is another key aspect of settler colonialism, that it makes the whole process invisible. When we learn about US history, we're often told about the brave pioneers settling the vast uninhabited land in the West. We hear a version of history that is all about the white settlers and is seldom about the people those settlers displaced or killed.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So then let me ask you my second question, which is how do I use settler colonialism? Assuming that I don't want to go and colonize a country. (laughs)
0: Glad to hear that you don't. I I, I was assuming that about you, Kim. (laughs) Okay. Well, two kinds of examples. One way is to look at textbooks and how the history of a country is taught. In the U.S., for instance, what do most students learn about Native peoples? Mm -hmm. Basically, they learn some version of: Pilgrims came over. Friendly Indians taught them to grow corn. They had the first Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. Or maybe students will learn about how one particular Native woman, Sacagawea, helped Lewis and Clark on their expedition. What we don't hear is a version of U.S. history that centers around the people who were already here and the wars that the white settlers waged to gain control of that land. So settler colonialism is a way of looking at the way that history is taught trying to create versions that make that process more visible. Cool, so we can use it to change our educational processes. Right, we can also use it to examine the origins of social beliefs and institutions. So there's a political theorist I like a lot, Adam Dahl, and he writes that dominant narratives of American democracy emphasize colonial settlement while neglecting colonial dispossession. So much of our democracy was founded on principles of land ownership and the whole idea of private property. But that land ownership was only possible because some other people were dispossessed of their land, their homes, their hunting and fishing rights, their villages, their forms of government, their language, to encouraged the growth of a certain type of nation, a white Protestant democratic nation. The federal and state governments, so I'm talking late 18th, early 19th century, Mm -hmm. made land available to settlers to farm. They encouraged commerce by making huge swaths of land available to build railroads. They made land available to build systems of education. Most public school systems were founded with a certain portion of land set aside to fund common schools. And land-grant colleges, which is what my research has been on, land-grant colleges were said to support democratic expansion of education and, and, and that work. They did. But those colleges were funded by sales of land. Well, where did all of that land come from? It all came from taking land away from Native peoples using the theory of settler colonialism then is a way of shining a light on these processes of saying, yeah, railroads are good. Public schools are good. Colleges are good. That's all great. Except when it's not, except when it came at a huge cost to other people beyond the dominant group for settler colonialism, what is foregrounded is the racism of it. It's the the insistence on the dominance of white Protestant peoples and the elimination of indigenous peoples. So it's not just about class-based society. It's very much racialized.
1: Right. The justification given for the dispossession of the land is, is a racist one. It is exactly. saying that the, the white Protestant nation has a right to this land and that the savage native people who did not cultivate the land do not have any right to it and they should be
0: moved. Exactly, Yeah. if, if they should exist at all, according to the, that theory.
1: Right, of course, of
0: course. How then will settler
1: colonialism save the world?
0: Okay, so I'm going to start by again quoting this political theorist, Adam Dahl. He writes that settlers engaged in, quote, an active refusal to ethically grapple with the presence and political claims of indigenous peoples, unquote. Those settlers had to see native peoples as subhuman or not see them at all. They thought of the land as vacant, uninhabited, empty to justify what they did. But how can the world be saved if we continue to refuse to ethically grapple with our past? And not just our past, but the current political claims of indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people today who think that American Indians don't even exist, that they existed in the past and then were gone. There are other people today who think that Native Americans don't have and shouldn't have any political rights. Or say that because some tribes have accumulated some wealth from casinos, therefore, okay, we're all even now, the scales are balanced. But who are we as a nation if we can't face the reality of both the past and the present, even when it's hard, even when it's painful? It doesn't mean that white people should feel guilty, but it does mean that as a nation, we need to come to terms with our history and our present and find what we can learn and how we can live up to our ideals better. The Second way I think that using settler colonialism can help us save the world is because mm-hmm. there is so much knowledge that exists in indigenous cultures, in their philosophies, in their epistemologies or ways of knowing. We have big problems as we're looking at climate change, wildfires, drought, agricultural problems, etc. The country as a whole on the world could be learning approaches and strategies from Native Americans. And again, this is not just about the U.S. and American Indians. This is as true for other countries throughout the world where indigenous knowledges have been subsumed by dominant cultures. But don't we need all hands on deck as we try to save the planet? Don't we need a range of ideas to try to fix the problems we've created?
1: Yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> I love your suggestion that indigenous knowledges can help us save the world from impending climate disaster. <laughs> like that is That's really powerful.
0: Who knows what the future holds, but... We need different ways of addressing the problems than the ways we've addressed them so far.
1: Yeah. And looking to different systems of knowledge is a pretty good place to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us about settler colonialism.
0: Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And thank
1: you for listening to High Theory.